Welcome to My Years Through My Ears, a series about influential songs that have shaped influential lives. Each guest breaks down the soundtrack to their life story, picking the most personally impactful songs to represent each chapter along the way. My name is Andres Tardio, and today's guest is Wynn. Coming out of Oregon, she's a phenomenal MC. She dropped If I May back in the pre-pandemic days of 2019, and recently she dropped her latest project, Do My Own Stunts. Her story is an inspirational one, proving what can happen when you dream big, step out of your comfort zone, and follow your heart while studying the craft. What's going on, Wynn? Thank you for joining us, first of all. What did you think of this whole My Years Through My Ears process? Man, I'm good. Thank you for having me, first of all. Yo, it was hard. It was really, really hard. I sat there for a while kind of going back and forth because I feel like I could give you another, I don't remember how many it was, six or eight songs, and they could all be equally as impactful. So it was tough. So let's get into your list by starting from the very beginning. I asked you to pick two tracks for the preteens, zero to 12. Mm -hmm. So what was the first song that you picked? So the first song I picked was Super Lady by Luther Vandross. When I was growing up, my parents, my dad specifically was really big on on music. My mom was really into like Motown and just like 60s and 70s R&B. And Luther Vandross was was one artist that they kind of had some crossover love for. This song, Super Lady, was a song that you asked me or either of my siblings, every time we got in the car, my dad was playing this song. And actually, the first, technically the first concert I went to, I was in my mom's stomach at the Luther Van Ross concert in Portland in 1997. And the bass line specifically in this song, I think is one of the reasons that the bass guitar is like my favorite instrument. But this song... I don't know. I just, every time I was going to a basketball practice with my dad or we were going out to dinner he would put this song on and he would hype me and my sister and my mom up and I'd stick my face out the window and feel like I'm, I'm a super lady. That's what I am. Affirmations from an early age. I asked for a zero to 12 and you gave me even more. This is like negative nine months, maybe like you were right. hearing it. Uh, so you got super lady. What was the second song that you picked? It was Can't Tell Me Nothing by Kanye West. The reason I picked this one over some more of my my technical choices was because this impacted me more in the long run as I kind of moved away from my my more MC technical internal rhyme schemey stuff to my like, oh, I need to puff my chest out a little bit and give people statements, which now people count as like Instagram captions. You know, like giving people one-liners that you take away like Damn, how does he come up with that? And this song to me is is so the epitome of like, man, this guy is cool. And I knew this at age nine. Just Kanye is cool. Going back to Super Lady a little bit, yeah. when when you were in the car and you were hearing this and you were connecting to your parents in this way, mm-hmm. what do you think that taught you about the connection to music and what music can do for people at such an early age? I think it gave me a lot of really early on confidence. I think in general, people who pursue any sort of career in the arts, you have to be like unrealistically confident. And I was very much like that as a kid. And I think the music I was listening to was a big part of that. It was a lot of 50 Cent, a lot of Kanye, a lot of Alicia Keys. And obviously I was growing up around the time that Rihanna started dropping music. And this song is 
is very much that it's just he's he's hyping up his woman and he's like you you you've got it you are a super lady that was specifically one of the first songs I was hearing as a kid where it took me to a different place I felt a unique attachment to the song like it's giving me a confidence boost this is like in my veins going back to the beginning because this is the ages zero to 12 mm-hmm. where were you born where were you raised? What were these years like? Yeah, well, this is a fun interview. Um, so I was born in Portland and I, I lived in Portland till age three. And then my family moved to a suburb called Lake Oswego. It's about 10, 15 minutes south of Portland. And it's a very affluent white community. There's not a lot of culture there. It's kind of like living in a bubble. My upbringing pretty much until 12 was pretty, pretty chill. Like I started, once I... 12 is when I like really started rapping. 12 is when I started getting bullied. But before 12, my my life was, it was great. I, I don't really have a lot of complaints about the way I was raised. I had a great family. My grandfather, my mom's side, uh, this was a big part of my life, reason I bring it up. He was a football coach. He was a defensive coordinator uh, for the Atlanta Falcons. He retired briefly for a couple of years and then started coaching uh, University of Kentucky. So a lot of my childhood was like going to football games and like rapping with my cousin. And I was also an athlete myself. I was playing soccer and basketball. So a lot of the music I was listening to was based around like getting hyped for games and stuff. And my older brother actually was the one who was introducing me to, to hip hop. And because I had an older brother who was three years older than me, uh, he taught me a lot. So I was just wanting to, I was looking up to my big brother. I was watching him while he played video games. I was playing basketball against him in the driveway, which is a great way to learn how to play basketball is play against your older brother who's seven inches taller than you, especially when you're an overly confident kid like I was. And um, I started really listening to music like with intent when I was nine. That's kind of around the time where my brother started listening to The Cool by Lupe, which was another big project. He was just introducing me to a lot of music, a lot of stuff that was coming out. And we shared an iTunes account. So I was listening to everything he had he had downloaded. And I was staying in my bed from 8 p.m. until 3 a.m. Just screaming raps at the top of my lungs until someone would come knock on my door to shut up. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> that that like evening cipher for yourself. Oh, it was going, it was going up and I was writing remixes. I wasn't like officially writing yet, but I was like writing remixes to like put on by young Jeezy. And I'm like, what is I doing this stupid? But it was fun. And it was, it was my beginning. So let's get into the teens. What was the first song that you picked? Probably got to be Backseat Freestyle by Kendrick. You know, that project came out late 2012 and that's when I was entering high school. So I don't need to say anything about Kendrick because everybody knows who this fucking guy is. My favorite rapper of all time. This song in particular was one that I practiced to a lot because Kendrick is someone who honestly kind of similar to Nicki and in some ways to like Eminem, people who use their voice as an instrument and in uh, encompass different characters and different emotions strictly just through their voice. I think on Backseat Freestyle, he does that really well like I think it's the third verse where he's kind of puts on this like monstrous voice and the beat like I I can't tell you how many times I have looked for a beat exactly like this I don't know what possessed hit boy to do this but it's in fucking sane you talked about kind of working on your vocal delivery through that Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. 
what was it that you found in, in this track in particular that stood out on that front that made you go, oh, I need to do that? And how did you start incorporating that uh, into your own work? There are a lot of rappers who who rap things and their inflections don't change. They're very uh, monotone, which is great for certain styles, but not particularly something I, I want to do. I want to be able to like really convey the emotion I'm feeling through my vocal delivery and presence on the mic. And I think that's a really underrated talent that Kendrick has. Um, and my, my voice was something I struggled with literally up until like maybe a year ago, just because as you can tell by most of this list that I've picked, all my idols were like dudes. So I was trying to make my voice lower and like sound more aggressive like they were. And I guess Kendrick gave me different tools to practice with the voice that I have and find what worked best for my voice. And he found so many things that worked really well for him. It really set me on my own path of trying to figure out where my voice sits best in a record. Particularly on the new album, I know you're playing mm -hmm. with your flow in so many different ways. So cool to make yeah. that connection here. What was yeah, the second you. song that you picked uh, for your teens? So this was a, this was a really hard section because we're, we're talking about between 2010 and 2016 and so much good music dropped in that period. The final song I went with is Dynamite by The Roots. 2016 was my freshman year of college and I joined a band that was kind of like The Roots. There were 12, 13 of us and we had a full string section, a horn section, percussion, and we had three MCs. It was me and my two best friends, Raph and Smythe. And uh this song so we would we would play uh covers and do originals but pretty much all funk and hip-hop and this was one of the first songs that my band learned and up until I think every time I tell this to people it's kind of a, sh a shocking thing but I never freestyled until 2016 my freshman year of college I would not even try to freestyle because of what I was saying before I was scared to fuck up it's like a perfectionism issue I have that I'm still trying to get over. But in 2016, I joined this band and Raph, who one of the MCs who came to audition, came to audition as a saxophone player and wasn't even a rapper, but forgot his saxophone. So he just auditioned as a rapper and starts freestyling. And I call myself a rapper and I wasn't even freestyling. And so they put on this song and... I was trying to memorize Black Thought's four-bar trades because I wasn't about to freestyle and look stupid. And eventually had to just kind of start pushing myself. So like, yo, like, you got to just learn how to do it. You got to just be able to go kind of off the fly. So this song, we ended up naming ourselves kind of after Illadelph, Half-Life, the Ill-Equips, the highlight of my college experience. I went to the University of Oregon. So this song has a, a very, a very deep deep solidified space in my heart so let's talk about the teens yeah. what were your teens like i wasn't invited to parties i didn't go to dances i didn't go to whatever i just stayed in my room i rapped and i read the vibe history of hip-hop i was so deep into like the world of hip-hop and like like finding every book i could find to read listening to every album i could listen to like like really big on ciphers so spending a lot of time digging on YouTube, like when YouTube was in its prime, like just watching team backpack videos, like really trying to be a rapper. 
and was convinced at the age of 13 or 14 that this was my life path. And all these other kids, like, they don't know what they're doing with their lives. I'm, I'm on a career path right now. I just had my Beats headphones on and my sweatpants and my Air Force Ones. And I, that was me in high school. And anyone who could go ask from there, that, that was me. And I just like didn't talk to people because I just didn't fuck with them. And I think that's, you know, kind of the success story of a lot of people who they, they knew exactly who they were in high school. And a lot of people don't know who they are in high school. And that, those are the kids who get lost and they'll, they'll make fun of you for it. So now they're all back in my DMs like, oh, I knew it. I knew you. Would. Yeah, you did. Okay. So it sounds like you already knew what you were going to do at 12. And then as yeah. the teens progressed, that only strengthened. Did oh, you yeah. did you find more people that you could have things in common with? Because I, I know you said you had a band. And so mm-hmm. there was maybe some like-minded folks around you at this point. Yeah. How, how did that uh, progress? So in high school, no, I was lonely as fucking high school and honestly, like really depressed. It was a really bad time for me. Um, my mom had cancer early on in high school. So like my first half of high school was just like trying to be there for my mom. And the second half of high school was me just like being super depressed and like not having friends. So I hated high school because of that. I didn't want to go to college. My only idol that like really went to college was J. Cole and none of the other ones did it. So like, why should I do that? But my parents convinced me. So I applied to one school and I knew I would get in. So that was it. And I went to University of Oregon. <laughs> and my mom always used to tell me like, people who are unique don't thrive in high school. Like they, they just don't. And she was that way too. So she knew me. But people who are unique will thrive in college. You There there aren't popular groups in college. You'll find your people. You'll find your your section. Like those will be your, those will be your kids. And for me, mine was Ill-Equips and I was in the music school. So I, across the table from me is my, is my engineer slash right-hand man slash best friend, Itai, uh, who I also met in the music school. And these, these people are still, they're still with me. They're a part of my crew. We went on tour in 2020 together. Um, Raph became my DJ. Ty does pretty much everything with me. So very much found my people in college. So fuck high school but we glowed up that's gonna be somebody's yearbook quote <laughs> probably fuck high school but i'm about to go um it was like that you mentioned your mom's health struggles early on was she able to yeah. come out of that uh, and how did you cope yeah. with that as at such a young age great question yeah it was a it was really hard she she got diagnosed the summer going into my freshman year of high school so uh, a weird vulnerable time as a preteen slash teen. And um, my sister at the time was going off to college. So family was getting a little smaller. And I'm a I'm very emotional, empathetic, sympathetic person. So I took it really hard. Um, she did end up beating it. Thank God. Um, but with cancer, also, I want to say it's never really something that you get over she to this day does you know bi-yearly exams and like it's changed our whole family like the stuff we have in our house the way we think about like it, it changes you and your your health never really returns to normal like she still struggles with it years after um but I was lucky enough that my 
freshman year of high school happened to be the poetry unit. So I had a great freshman year high school teacher. Her name was Miss Mitchell. And she was very quiet. She was very nice. And she loved poetry. And she knew what my family was going through at the time. And so we kind of took a liking to each other because she knew how much I loved poetry and knew what I was going through. And I appreciated how patient she was with me and how much she supported um, what I was doing. So instead of writing poems, which kind of equally are as poems, she would let me turn in my own music and like write songs for her instead. And she invited me to open up for poetry slams that were happening around the town and that were happening at the high school. So every once in a while I would pull up to a poetry slam and perform some of my verses and do some of them acapella, do some of them with the beat. Um, she gave me my first experience at the high school in the auditorium. She let me open the, like the big poetry slam for the, for the year for the high school. And that was really cool. So she, she was a big, a big staple for me through my freshman year and, and helping me kind of cope with all that and writing songs and poems about my mom which I could then give to my mom to help her. And um, yeah, it was, you know, shout out, shout out to good teachers. And good poets and yeah. you know, good writers in general. Uh, True. So let, let's move into the twenties. What was the first song that you picked for your twenties? Man, this was equally as fucking hard. First song I picked up was Supermodel by SZA. Control is a classic album. SZA is one of the greatest writers of my generation. Supermodel to me is, I think, just some of the most brilliantly effortless songwriting I've heard in a really long time. And it's the intro. And the drums don't come in till the end. She's just singing. It's just her and this guitar. And the the album is one of the most, and I think this is why it's so revered is is one of the most like honest tellings of like a young woman's experience and what it means to be in your early 20s as a woman and trying to like figure out what's up with guys and why am I insecure around these people and how like just she does such a good job of very poetically explaining so many things that me as well as so many other young women were feeling at the time and supermodel specifically is it's oh it's she's got like the perfect amount of sass and like like fuck you I'm a bad bitch and the perfect amount of like explaining her insecurities and why she feels that way and she may be this confident but she still feels insecure like when she talks about like, sorry, I don't shave my legs. It was like, you know, like people don't say that in songs. Like women don't just say that. And like, we should. This project for me came out, gosh, came out my sophomore year of college. And I had had already some viral success before it came out. And so I was just beginning to like realize, oh, I could go pull whatever guy I wanted. And sometimes that's going to break your heart. And sometimes you're going to feel like the baddest bitch in the world. And this album was that for me. It was like, I'm 19 now. I've got, I've got a little bit of popularity. I've got a little following. Like it was, it was very like, 
I could fuck you up or you're going to fuck me up. And I'm just going to have to catch my stride a little bit. One thing that I noticed and uh, I thought was really interesting was the parallel bookend of super lady and super model. Oh, yeah. Nice. How, you know, different those songs are, but similar in the ter- in the reality of yeah. empowering yourself while listening to you know what else is i could have in my 2010s to 2012s i was really big on the um as i am alicia keys album that was a big album for me and in my seventh grade talent show i sang superwoman by alicia keys and i could have put that song in here too and i think partially just because this is the way women in my family were is the women in my family are very like figure it out yourself no one is gonna make you lunch no one's gonna take you to the doctor if you have a little sniffle you just gotta figure it out and good luck and I had a lot of that kind of do it on your own mentality and do your own stunts do exactly do my own stunts shout out to my grandma the originator and uh so I listened and was attracted to a lot of um women's voices who felt that same way and that gave me that that similar empowerment and SZA huge for me Lauren Hill huge for me Erica huge for me Rihanna man so good so good the other thing I thought about while we were talking is the cover for do your own stunts you're like a superhero yeah another super connection all right let's get to the second (laughs) the second track of your 20s what was the second song that you picked get bigger slash do you love by no worries um, which is Anderson Pack and the producer Knowledge. Kind of a deep cut, but this project to me is like, might be a Desert Island album, similar with Malibu from Anderson. I'm a huge Anderson fan. And this song in particular spoke to me just because it's this concept of, I got to do what I got to do to grow. And I really attach to that mentality. It's a very like, do whatever I have to, kind of not if, but how. And Anderson just has so much steez. Like he's he's just such a great songwriter and a great vocalist and knowledge is an incredible producer. I would still love to get a pack someday. Anderson for me, I have a funny story about him. So my, I think it actually was 2016. He was on the Malibu tour and came to Portland and played the Crystal Ballroom. And I went with one of my bandmates, Smythe, and a couple of our homies. And we all brought our Malibu vinyls. And we stood outside of the door for like two or three hours for Anderson to come out. We were the only ones out there waiting for him. And he walks out. And this is before I'd had any viral moments or anything. I didn't have like a following or anything. But I I walk up to him and he signs my vinyl. And I go like, give me a couple years. Like, I'm going to work with you, I swear. And he was like, oh, word. And I was like, yeah, I'm a rapper. And like, you're one of my favorite artists. I would love to just work with you someday. And he was like, bet. Well, I'll hold you to it. Two years later, I went to the BET Hip Hop Awards. I did their little internet cipher. Anderson that year was nominated. And after the awards, my manager, myself, and my publicist went out to Nobu in Miami. And earlier in the night, I had taken a picture with Anderson, just like briefly, I don't know, some photographer came up and was like, take a picture together. And I just like kind of shook his hand. I was like, I don't want to bug him. And so I'm at dinner and my publicist goes like, Anderson Pack is sitting right behind you. And I was like, no fucking way. 
I love this dude. And my manager just gets up and he's like, I'm going to go talk to him. And my manager at the time was managing Taylor Parks, who was one of the writers for Tints. And so he was kind of like, I feel like I can go up, introduce myself, whatever. So I'm sitting there, my heart's going like this. A couple minutes pass and I hear Anderson go, win. And I was like, no fucking way. So I turn around and I walk over there and he goes, sit down. And I sit down and he goes, I hear this is your first award show. And I was like, it is. And he pours me out a shot of his sake and he gives it to me. And he goes, well, cheers to that. I took a shot of sake with him. And I told him about that story from a couple of years ago. Like, man, I'm going to work with you someday. And he was like, I'm still waiting for it. Like, we'll get it in as soon as you're ready. And I was like, still waiting. But I'm glad you had that moment. And I can't wait for us to revisit this after your collaboration comes out. Man, someday. I still have that vinyl hanging on my wall. That's great. That's great. So tell me about your 20s. I know we're not done with the 20s yet. Yeah. But what have your 20s been like? They've been a roller coaster, to say the least. I can't complain. We've all been through shit in the last two years. I'm just happy to be healthy. My family's healthy. First half of my 20s were fucking incredible. Just unplanned viral moments happening back to back. And that allowed me to assemble a team of superstars who have been super supportive the whole ride. Um, work with some of my favorite producers of all time. Shout out to Soundwave, Dahi, Hitboy, Jahan Sweet, all incredible musicians that I was uh, able to learn from. Work with one of my favorite new lyricists, Jid. Just really an incredible time. Uh, dropping If I May was a great experience. Sold out my first hometown show in Portland, 600 people. And then went on a sold out tour with Earth Gang and Mick. Crazy lineup, like insane that I got to go on that like really an honor and we came back and the pandemic hit pretty rude awakening to adulthood rude awakening to the success that I thought I was on the track for and took us a while to to get our footing we lost a lot in those in these couple years lost the studio we were recording at then we got a new place and that place got robbed a couple times Portland was really going through it the whole whole world was going through it at the time but Portland was protesting for over a hundred days straight and we were out there trying to do just whatever we could to support, um, trying to supply sound equipment for people leading the protests and just trying to be out there just for support because Portland in particular has a really, really brutal history with race issues and the police in the city are particularly fucked. I was also in a really toxic relationship um that I just got out of this year so it's been a it's been a get your footing kind of time but during that process I was making a lot of deeper emotional music to kind of hold on to the back burner because we aren't ready to release it yet but simultaneously got to link up with Christo because a lot of it was anger it was a lot of like damn like I was so on this path and just got side swipes as everyone did and I just want to rap. Like I just, I want some, I want some mosh pit music and some crazy kick drums and Christo's my fucking guy. So let's lock in. Let's do a whole EP, literally doing our own stunts. Like I had to learn Photoshop and how to design merch and how to make a website and all that shit. So it was a, it's been an incredible learning experience. It also gave me 
the time to slow down because ever since I was 18, I've been win. I've been this person with this following and trying to identify my own sound and what I wanted to do. My voice has also changed a lot as I've gotten older. So it gave me time to find sounds I liked that I worked with without feeling the pressure of like, we need to turn around. We have a tension right now. We need to go, go, go. So I honestly cherish a lot of the time that I spent in that studio with Kai, but excited to finally have the project out and be moving forward onto, onto whatever's next. I can't wait to hear some of that stuff that you have on hold. Uh, yeah. Is that going to be the first album that you drop as like an we'll official, see. official, official album? That was, that was the plan. We'll, we'll see as, as times change. I've learned, I've learned not to make any plans for unreleased music until, until I know it's time. So we'll see. I hope so. Fingers crossed. Looking back at everything that we talked about today, mm-hmm. what is your biggest takeaway after having explored your life story through music? I think my biggest thing, just like looking at this list is like, oh, I've always been a very goal-oriented person and confidence is what's gotten me through that even when it was invalid. So I do think confidence is important. That's a major tool. Keep it in your belt. That being said, also know yourself and know your strengths and know your weaknesses. Find people who can help you fill in where you're weak and help you build those skills back up. And that's going to be a huge key. And also find confidence in your strengths and be able to, to use those things to help you grow. Like for me, freestyling has been a big way for me to grow. So grateful to, to have done, you know, a lot of it's just putting, not to quote the rock, but put in the work, put in the hours and, and, and like, learn what, learn what you're trying to do. Like, honestly, that's probably been one of the biggest keys to success for me is uh, studying. Don't walk into anything without knowing your shit. This has been another episode of My Years Through My Ears. Special thanks to my guest for being a part of this series and thank you for tuning in. The theme song for this series was created by Atmosphere. The song that you're hearing is called Anybody That I've Known and it was used with permission from Slug, Ant, and Rhyme Sayers Entertainment. Tune in soon for a new episode. Like, subscribe, and do whatever else podcast hosts usually ask for. It truly does make a difference. Until next time, I'm out. Or as my son likes to say, Peace out.